I mean, obviously the way that the team's playing, you wouldn't want to switch that back up again, have someone else leading it already. But then even like, if it is like genuinely a health issue, like what is the point of coming back? Like (laughs) if you're about to have like a grabber on the, in the second inning, just don't come out. Just don't come or out. Or a nap. another episode of around the loop finally got larry and lucas back we're back baby we're so back um except the things that aren't back are chicago sports teams i mean i guess the white Sox are seven and three in their last 10 sort of back they're like they're not hanging around they're not back (laughs) too far gone you know who else is not back tony la russa He's not. See ya. Did he? <laughs> I mean, is he going to manage again this year? Or is he going to croak by the end of the year? Nah. What, are the better, what are the better odds? I think he's I, done. Um, I think he's done too. I mean, look, when you put it in a real life scenario, here's Tony LaRussa. How old is he? Like 83 now? Something like that, yeah. Like, that's that's like the age actually, of most of our grandparents. Like that's, like, not, like, a joke? I think he's 79. No way. I thought he was, like, I, se- so. I thought he was, like, 70. No, dude. No. See, that's he's the 70, thing. Like, you put this into such a, like, a real-life context, and it's it gets crazier. Yeah. Like, there's no way any of us would want their uh, grandparents working a full-time job, let alone managing a baseball team. You know, getting close game. to 80. But the White Sox are like, oh, yeah, go ahead, man. <laughs> He's 77. With the, this country needs to just come up with a rule like, hey, if you're older than 65, you can't do anything. You can't be president. You can't coach a football team unless your name's Bill Belichick. You can't <laughs> coach a baseball team. Like, Period. How old is Joe Biden? He's getting up there. Old enough to not be able to talk right. Let's see here. 79. <laughs> oh, Biden's 79. LaRusse has still got two years where he – Dude, Joe Biden is 79 years old. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. That's insane. We're really, we're really going there right now. We're starting <laughs> hot. Oh, my goodness. That's so scary. 79. I don't know why I was thinking like a cool 65. No, no, bro. Have you seen? I mean, I'm not saying I like dislike the dude or anything, but like, have you seen the way he talks? I've never. Okay, him him and Tony Larusa are a little more similar than I think people would like to recognize. (laughs) My final stance: seventy-two past, past seventy-two, seventy-three and up. You just gotta, you can't. You gotta work your way out of society. But seventy-two, it's like I don't know. I think you can still you can still be productive. I wouldn't trust a seventy nine year old to drive a car, let alone run the country or run a baseball team. Like, 
I don't enjoy getting in the car with old people <laughs> driving the car. I get very nervous. Now you know how Lucas has felt all year. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's driving the team. Oh boy, let's start off with the Bears, and then we'll get into the White Sox. Um, Bears fall to the Packers on Sunday Night Football, a movie we've seen before as Bear fans, and we're going to talk about it. Justin Fields, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, Roquan Smith, all kind of missing, not playing good football. You know, maybe our biggest four cornerstone pieces, you could probably swap out Komet for like Jalen Johnson or like Eddie Jackson or something, but four fairly big players on this Bears roster were missing. Bears got dominated all night by Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon. Rodgers confirmed, still owns the Bears, and Kyler Gordon got trained last night. Ten receptions, 100-and-something yards allowed, and, like, two touchdowns. It was brutal. Lucas, any fun little things that you learned last night? Yeah, Roquan. Uh, Roquan made a mistake is what I learned last night. I mean, what I think most of the games are going to end up looking like. Maybe, you know, and this is kind of a thing I always thought with, um, you know, the Nagy era too. Scripted plays, like the first 20 plays, whatever, first couple drives, they look pretty good. And then, you know, when something starts to not work, and then meanwhile, you have the other team draining so much clock. I mean, all these players you mentioned in Fields, Mooney, Komet, they all go hand in hand with the fact that Fields threw 11 passes. And it's not necessarily only because of play calling. I mean, we just didn't run a ton of plays. I don't know what the number is, but. 41. 41, yeah, a quarter of them, 30 rushes. That's about a game average. But then obviously, you know, there was the one drive where we didn't throw. It was like nine straight rushes, and that went well. So you're not going to switch it up there. And the offense just needs to end up getting into a rhythm. But as I was mentioning, like, on the other side, they were just running the ball down our throats, training so much clock, like keeping the defense on the field the whole time. And then seemed like 70, the middle 75% of the game, that was coupled with the Bears just going three and out. You know, it was, you know, we, it's, and so far both games, you know, it's looked like this. Other team has great field position the Bears entire coach. game. Bears go three and out in their own side of the field, give them right back the great field position. Sometimes they score, sometimes they don't. Takeaways are nice, fumbles are nice. And then it's just kind of rinse and repeat until we get a, um, you know, just lock into a, a drive, it seems like, you know. And that's not always the case. I don't think that will be, but we just need to get the offense in a rhythm. Larry. You know, I, I think Lucas hit on all the big things. I mean, the offensive rhythm, there was none. And you mentioned that sequence where they ran the ball nine straight times. I think our offense weirdly looked the best when we just ran the ball up the gut every single time. David Montgomery, I think if there's anything we learned last week um, with this Packers game is that Montgomery is, you know, a, a top 10 running back in the league. Uh, he's really good. I think we've got a good quarterback in Justin Fields. Um, but I think the clear weakness of this team right now is the wide receivers. Um, and they just haven't been involved. And Justin Fields, as much as a quarterback 
can not be involved, he's not involved enough, which is so weird to say. The quarterback should be the focal point of the offense, especially when it's Justin Fields. And he only threw the ball, what, 11 times? And he took one deep shot? And I think that also some of that is on Justin Fields, but also when you look at the play sequencing, I think it's hard for a guy like Justin Fields, who's in his second year in the league, to trust himself when they're only calling 11 pass plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think this team is playing to its strengths right now. I think that the, a strength is the quarterback. I think a strength is Darnell Mooney. I think a strength is David Montgomery and also uh, Khalil Herbert. But one of the weaknesses is the offensive line. And you've got Justin Fields holding the ball for so, so long. And honestly, like it makes the offensive line look pretty good, but he, he needs to start throwing the ball a little bit sooner. It, it's wild that he hasn't gotten sacked more. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much left to say. You guys kind of covered all the talking points there. It was a pretty damn good job from Lucas and Larry. Frustrating, to say the least. It was just like you go into a game where you know that there's a good chance that they're going to be able to pound the ball down your throats with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, and you know you don't have a good defensive line. You hold them to three on the opening drive with a scripted Matt LaFleur offense with Aaron Rodgers. That's an automatic win in my book. And then you go down there and put up seven. And then they go right back down the field and put up, you know, seven. That's 10-7. You've got to answer. Like, and what, I mean, the game just went away right there. They're controlling the clock for the entire first half, the entire game, actually. But two awful possessions in the second quarter, mistake, a lot of mistake-riddled football right there. And the game's over when they can drive the ball down your throat and then you got to start, you know, keying in on the run, and Aaron Rodgers is just going to kill you deep. The game is over right there. That is championship football, and this Bears roster is not even close to being able to work, contain with that. And it showed last night that this roster, you know, they had a f- awesome, fun game against the 49ers week one in the pouring rain in front of Chicago's crowd. Like, it was fun, but last night was a wake-up call. Like, hey, you know, we're not actually that good. I'm not saying we still can't be competitive. I mean, we were fighting in that game last night as bad as it was. Like, it never once, like, felt like we were getting blown out by 21 or anything because the offense was going right down the field. And that's my thing about this is, like, Fields only attempted 11 passes, and it pisses me off. But at the same time, like, we didn't have the ball much. And when we did, we were trying to win the game. And what was working was the run. So, like, I understand not passing the ball because when you're going nine plays down the field running the ball and it's like you're going down there like it's nothing now, I get it. We're not going to pass the ball because we can just drive it down their throats with David Montgomery. And it's an emotional game. It's a rivalry game. You know, it's Luke Getze going back, trying to show that he has something in this offense. I get it. You're trying to do everything that you want to win. But at the same time, I've said this a thousand times now in, like, every single Snapchat group chat that I'm in. You got to put the blinders on sometimes when you have a developing football team and not worry so much about the wins and the losses and more about we need to develop this football team. In two years, we'll worry about the win-loss record. I get it. Like I said, an emotional football game. You want to win all the games you can. 
but you got to let Fields just open up and start slinging the rock. You have to. You have to let this kid learn. Five times before this 2022 season in NFL history has a player over two games only attempted 28 passes or less. And, like, all of them came in the 70s. And, of course, two of the other five times were the Chicago Bears. So it was nice. probably the Bob Avellini era, which I think we had Walter Payton, so I kind of understand. But, I mean, this is this is not your father's football anymore. This is not, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. You have to throw the ball 25 to 35 times a game in today's league or you're not going to win a football game. Like, this is not – That's a high school football offense. Yes, I've seen good. a lot of those. A lot of those. <laughs> like, the quarterback passes, like, five times a game, and it's to the tight end for five yards. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was – no wonder I recognized that game last night. It's tough. <laughs> and then, I mean, how do we feel about Kyler Gordon? I get it. You know, he's so young. I guess I would say I'm not worried about him just because I think he has so much athleticism and speed. Like, we watched him get burnt last night by Alan Lazard and then still make that play. He absolutely got beat, and he still made that play in the end zone. So I was, like, happy about that. I think he has so much athleticism and speed that I guess I'm not really worried about it yet because the scheme's going to come to him. And he's playing a very difficult position at that, too. He's playing a lot more of the slot. So he's, he kind of has to, you know, work with a lot of the field. It's not like you're Jalen Johnson where, you know, you're there, you've got your guy. This is more of Kyler Gordon's – going to get picked on a little bit this year because I just don't think the scheme's in his head yet. Are you guys worried about what you saw from him last night or kind of agreeing with what I'm seeing a little bit? I mean, it would have been nice to see him a lot, like, you know, just right away be the guy, you know, Jalen Johnson made plays his rookie year where people after that just stopped throwing his way. And that I don't think is going to be the case. He's going to have to start making some plays, you know, like the Lazard one. And like you said, like he has enough athleticism to make up for that, but, I think the what gives me hope still is, like, we're not going to play Aaron Rodgers every week. I mean, a lot of these throws were immediately at the break. Receivers got the ball in his chest. You know, high-level throws, high-level timing concepts where Gordon, you know, most of the time he's going to get the chance to make that step back. You know, playing against Rodgers and with these quick timing routes that, you know, they execute at such a high level, as soon as that receiver gets, you know, a half a foot of separation, the ball's already there. And yeah, you know, Watkins, Lazard both made him look, made it look a little easier and a little like, uh, made Gordon look bad. I mean, I, I guess I will say <laughs> uh, on a couple of those, but I think, you know, I, I saw some of the plays too, like I'm talking about where, uh, you know, Roquan was biting heavy on play action, just completely takes away that that line of linebackers where now it's just Gordon and the receiver in the middle of the field. Like that's understandable. That's not completely on him. Yeah. He's still getting beat a little bit, but just wasn't a great defensive game, you know, as a whole. So yeah, you know, it, it could have been better, but like you said, you know, he's an athlete, he, you know, he's a real smart guy, not too worried in the long run. You know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jalen Johnson, uh, you know, you even go back further. Uh, with Kyle Fuller. You remember his first year in the league? Awful. So bad. Yeah. So bad. It was like, what were we thinking here? And then he turned it around and he was a Pro Bowl guy. 
you know, a guy in his rookie year as a cornerback, that's a high pressure position. That's a position where you can look really, really bad, like twice a game, do your job right the rest of the time, and people are going to hate you for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll be just fine just because of those two names right there. Yeah. Kyle Fuller being a, a prime example of that. And, you know, it goes beyond cornerback. I think you look at Bears Packers on paper. I don't even think the Packers are that great in the scheme of the NFC this year. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll contend, but they're far from the best team. But even then, you look position by position, and the Bears were just so outmatched last night. It wasn't just cornerback. It was on the line. It was at quarterback. It was at wide receiver. It was just kind of tough to watch. It, was a, it wasn't a blowout, but it was one of those where it was just like, oh, yeah, this is a bad football team against a good football team. Totally. Yeah, the, the, high, the high came down quick in Chicago. And fans are worried. And going back to what Lucas said about Roquan Smith, it's like, I get it. Like, he bet on himself this year. He's playing for that contract. And he's undercutting all these blocks, trying to make these tackles for losses and, you know, takeaways and TFLs. I get it. You know, that's what pays the big gets paid the big bucks. But at the same time, he's hurting this football team. He's not filling his run gaps. He's getting bullied, trying to make plays by A.J. Dillon, an offensive lineman. He's not even I don't even know if he's playing like through two games of the year, like tackles don't mean a lot to me and they never really have like it's awesome Roquan Smith's top three in the league in tackles I'm really impressed that a linebacker in the second wave is making a lot of tackles like at the end of the day he's not doing his job and I get it like he's like he's trying to get this big contract but he's not even playing like a 16 million dollar linebacker right now he's not playing good football and from a guy who's supposed to be the best player on your defense and carry this team He's not doing that. And in the interview with I just had with Robert, he goes, I need you to really think about this, Will. Name one game in his four-year career where you said, wow, Roquan Smith completely has taken over this football game. I couldn't tell you one. I couldn't say this has been this is Roquan's game. Like, yeah, I remember last year against the Ravens, he had 13 tackles in the first half where we lost to Tyler fucking Huntley. I get it. It's tough for a linebacker to fully take over a game in today's NFL. But I haven't been able – I haven't sat there once. I've sat there a lot of times and said, damn, Roquan Smith is a damn good football player. But you've had games where Fred Warner has taken over. You've had games where Darius, now Shaquille Leonard has taken over. Eric Kendricks, those guys, you've seen it before. His stats are great, yes. But I have not been able to say, wow, this is Roquan's game. Like, that is the Roquan Smith game. And that's – you can't have that. Where You can't pay $20 million to a linebacker who hasn't had that yet along with the fact that he's not playing good football right now. Yeah, I mean, this this front office has shown that if you're anywhere close to what they might consider to be replaceable, you're probably going to get replaced. And, I mean, best-case scenario going into this situation, or I guess coming out of this previous situation, I thought if we wanted to keep him, it would be, you know, either tag or just extend him uh in the offseason without having to tag him but you know you can still tag him and like you said like are we even going to do that at that point like if if we're not what's a tag like 19 million a year like 
I think a little less, maybe a little less, like 18, 17, but you could be right, honestly. I know it's about like twice what he's making this year, so um, it's expensive, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes, but uh, if he doesn't start like actually performing and making a difference and having some of these games, like what's the point of us keeping him around like that? I mean, seriously, like what's – I mean, to have a better defense when for this year – you know what Especially I mean? Like this at a, a non premium position. Once again, folks, it's not your father's football. The, the <laughs> running backs and the linebackers are not premier positions anymore in today's NFL. Don't get me wrong. Thomas Jones, Brian Erlacher, loved watching them. It's, it's not your father's football, people. You don't pay $20 million to a linebacker. You don't give running backs $16 million. Look at the Think about the teams. In the last three years that have handed $16 million to running backs, Titans, Cowboys, Vikings, Saints, four mediocre first-round and bounce football teams. Four <laughs> first-round and bounce football teams who are given big bucks to linebackers and running backs. Congrats, man. You got the first seed. I'm happy you got bounced by the Bengals. Like – you don't do that. That's not championship football in my eyes anymore. You look at the best teams in the league, and they're giving football. They're giving big paychecks to the guys who matter. They're giving paychecks to the left tackles, the quarterbacks, and the pass rushers. Facts. And I feel like Ryan Poles in his first year has been like, yeah, you know, Roquan, you're a sixteen million dollar linebacker. Good job. You're one of the best in the league. So I'm gonna give you a contract that's fair. And team, and you know. Like, I'm sorry that the Colts gave $20 million to Darius Leonard. They're own too. Congrats. And they're not looking great. Like, I'm sorry, Roquan. I'm going to do what's best for the football team. Justin Fields says that Bears fans don't know squat about football and they don't buy in. Did they he say feel- that? Did he say that, though? I don't think that that's so true. Uh, I don't think he said that at all. Per media. Let's see, per let's media. see the quote. Let's see per the quote. Bar, per bar stool. God. Per Justin Dave Fields- Portnoy, maybe. Justin Field says uh, that fans, you know, this this loss hurts more in the locker room and that the fans aren't putting in the work. And Chicago fans are – and actually the nationwide media is kind of pretty much saying, like, hey, Justin Fields doesn't care about you. Big deal, guys? Or do we think that Justin Fields is completely right, which he is? When I looked at my phone and saw like people were talking about something that he did, and then I saw that that's what he said, I was like waiting for the other part of it. I'm like, okay, I'm like, what's okay? What I don't get it. Like that is, it, he's so just right. Like it's so just, it's so true that I don't get how anyone could take offense to that. Like you can't when it's that just factually true. Like I don't know. Like what do you expect him to say? Like, yeah, man. Like my guys like that you know we practice hard every day but not not as hard as lucas hoig like i mean seriously like what that'd just be a slap in the face to his teammates if he said anything other than what he said at the end of the day who gives a shit like he's right i don't know it's so dumb that it's you know that guys like us are even talking about this now i i agree it 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 doesn't make sense at all uh that people are upset about it however i will say this I think um, I think Dom had it right. A former guest of uh, the base, the hit by pod, of course. Um, he said 
he's right, but also he probably shouldn't have said it. However, you know, I don't think he meant it to be a big deal. Oh, that wasn't all. even meant to be a slap in the face to the fans. If you listen right. to how he said it, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't think the fans, you know, hurt as bad as we do in that locker room just because he wasn't like the fans. They don't feel it. They, they're not <laughs> into it. They're not into it like we are. This is unbelievable. He was just saying, yeah, you know, guys in that locker room, they care a lot. And, um, you know, we're putting a lot of the product right now. Um, so, of course, it's going to hurt. I mean, it's just stupid, and I think to take it in that way, to be offended by it, is just taking it out of context. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. Guys, we all had different reactions. I dropped my knees in Walmart and pissed my pants when I heard him (laughs) say (laughs) Dude, he'll probably be suspended. Like, I don't know. We might as well tank for C.J. Stroud now. Listen, I'm not an analogies guy, but ever since Matt Eberflus came around, I became one. (laughs) You know, just one of those, you know, he's comparing everything to everything, you know, just, uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at things from a different perspective. And I think earlier today, I made the greatest analogy that anyone has ever made in the history of life. Imagine, you know, I'm good buds with Justin Fields. Just let's just in a, in a, in a very realistic possible world, I'm good friends with Justin Fields. And then Cole Komet comes on the podcast. I'm I'm working a classic <laughs> nine to five gig. You know, I'm working my ass off for a promotion. I'm busting my ass for a promotion, you know, and I fucking don't get it. I don't get the promotion. Do you think that I'm going to say, oh, guys, you know, you know, this one hurts just as bad for Justin Fields because he was <laughs> rooting for me. He was pulling for me hard, you know. This one hurts just as bad for him. I think no. that is that is a good analogy, and I'd like I'd like a pass to that post non promotion press conference that you have. <laughs> like me, I, me and you, we watch football games, guys. We fucking love football, but we wake up the next day and we go to our fucking jobs or we go to school, like. We're not out there at training camp running routes with Justin Fields, guys. We're not putting in the work. So for people to be making a big deal about this, it's insane. I don't care if the Packers have beat my ass their whole life. The one thing that upset me about the media is that this this wasn't one question where the Bears media has mentioned anything about the fans. I watched on Tuesday or Monday morning, I watched Eberflus. In Roquan Smith's press conference, they're like, you know, we got the Packers. This is a big one for the fans. Like, I get it. It's a it's historic rivalry. It's a big game to us. Yeah, but what? This, this is their jobs. This means a lot to them. They're playing to win the game. Like, there's a lot on the line. This is their job. It's not our job. Like, yeah, it does mean a lot to us, but it seems just like every little Bears-Packer thing has been like, oh, you know, does it hurt? more because the fans wanted this one so bad like yeah they want to win for us but no it hurts fucking for me i just lost a football game i look like shit like worry about like i don't know i think it's ridiculous and of course the media is just gonna you know cut the quote after they they're not out there putting in the work like that's just classic media doing what the media does and i don't think it's a big deal and I'm glad that you guys agree. The que- like I said, the question wasn't was, should he have said it? Yeah, he could have just said, yeah, you know, we wanted to win that one for the fans, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, like, he's a competitor. He's pissed off after a football game. 
and he goes out there and says something in a little, you know, a little pissed off, like, yo, this one hurts, you know, a lot more on us because we've been busting our ass all season long. And for us to lose, yeah, it's going to hurt a lot more to the fans. Like, I'm not upset about it at all. And I can't believe that people are making a big deal about it. Yeah. I mean, like, you look at the quote and the way he worded it was very poor. Like, yeah. oh, they're not out there putting in the work. Um, because, I mean, in sports and especially the NFL, it's all expensive. It's so expensive to go to bear games. It's so expensive to buy jerseys uh, and stuff like that. And people do put their hard-earned money into it. However, he didn't mean it in that context. No, yeah. And I think that's what makes people so upset. Of course, everybody works hard. You know, if you're going to go to an NFL game, that takes a lot of money. Um, you know, there's a reason that I and a lot of other people have not ever been to an NFL game just because, like, I'd rather watch it on TV. It's not worth it for me to go, you know, freeze my ass off at, at Soldier Field. Like, there's just no point to that. Um, however, I don't think he meant it in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, Larry, we got to get you to a, a fucking bear game. <laughs> I'll see you in Arlington Heights. Whoa, Larry. Larry, we got to get you to a football game. It's I, I, I hate Soldier Field, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it this. I, I will say, and I've sat very high up there. I haven't watched a bad game there. I, I think it's, you know, no matter how close, I mean, I guess it's probably because, hey, maybe we have like the smallest stadium in all of football, but you can see everything play out there no matter how high up you are. So I definitely think that you need to go for the experience. Um, but at the same time, like it is very expensive to pay $200 to go watch a very bad football team play football. It, it, it's tough. I've paid $200 to watch, you know, Matt Barkley versus Colin Kaepernick hit it or the pockets. But, I mean, I had a blast, I guess. <laughs> it was tough. Just, you just do it so that the quarterback doesn't yell at you in his next press conference. Exactly. <laughs> you put in the work. You put your hard-earned money into going to the game. Otherwise, you're in trouble. All right. Half time, I'm laying bricks. I'm laying bricks at halftime, just helping the team. You know the ones who took that to heart? Definitely the ones who aren't happy what they do with their life. Yeah. <laughs> the ones who are upset about their life are the ones who took that to heart. Damn it, Justin. I worked my ass off, sweating out in the sun all day long. And this is what you say about me? This is how you feel about me? That's the, those are the people that are upset about this. If you're not happy with what you do, do something else. White Sox, seven and three in the last ten. Guardians, though, eight and two in the last ten. Lucas, White Sox fan, how do we see these last what fifteen to twenty games playing out? Are they a postseason team or not? It's a big series coming up. We got, don't you guys got the Guardians? Yeah, we got three more with the Guardians, so those are obviously must wins. Um, Six with the Twins, three with the Tigers, three with the Padres. Yeah, I mean, a lot of divisional baseball. On paper, you know, you hope we beat Minnesota. Hopefully, you know, especially coming into the year, we should be sweeping these series with Detroit. I mean, we just got a win, win, win. And the team's been different since Larusa, you know, got sick or whatever. They've had like the power. It's like home runs have been coming. They're no longer just. Storing as many singles as a stripper on the Vegas Saturday night, but I don't know. 
I just don't think that Cleveland's shown any sign that they're going to be slowing down enough for the White Sox to take that leap. I mean, unless we come out here and sweep Cleveland, that's that's going to have to happen because if not, we just take a game when it's all said and done. We're going to have to make up three games outside of that with, you know, you just said it. Not much real estate left. So, I don't know. Odds are pretty slim. It's all going to come down to that series with Cleveland coming up. So we'll have to see. But I don't know. I just don't see Cleveland really letting the door stay open for us, unfortunately. Because I think I think if we made it to the postseason, I mean, obviously you can say the same for Cleveland. We're two of the hottest teams in baseball right now just over the last, you know, less than a yeah. month, I'd say. But get us into the postseason i don't know maybe maybe all of that preseason hype just comes back at the right time if we got the right guy at the helm then you know maybe this is a good team after all larry you know i'm not ready to write them off yet but if they lose tomorrow tuesday i uh i will write them off uh, like Lucas said, you know, you got you to gotta sweep the series. However, you know, if I think if White Sox fans come out and they work hard enough, uh, you know, mid- midweek series, I think that could really be a difference maker. White Sox fans are probably top three hardest working fans in all of sports. Yeah. They don't go to the games. <laughs> it's true. But I will say, I mean, these may as well be playoff games, so – I think you got to go out there and play like every game is a one game wild card and um, survive in advance. And it's been working well. I think, I do think that White Sox have a team that should be a playoff team. Um, and it's wild that it's come to signing Elvis Andrews uh, to get to that point, even in the conversation. Um, but it has. And how about Elvis Andrews, man? What a what a guy! Player. He could become a cult hero if the White Sox pull this off. Seriously, he's the best player on our team right now. So is the is the door shut on the wild card? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What three wild card teams go right? Yeah. Yeah. So right now we got what Blue Jays, Rays, and the Mariners. You guys are only four back on the Mariners. Four and a half on the Mariners. It's not happening. It's not happening. The Central's too just hot, or what's going on? It's too bad. Um, the East is too good, and the Central's too bad. Yeah, here because I mean, here's the thing: like, if the White Sox are going to make up four games on Cleveland, or if they can't make up four games on Cleveland, and if that margin is too much, I mean, there's no chance they can make up four and a half on Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Based on you know the division that Seattle plays in. Because then even after Seattle, Baltimore, I think, is just as close. Are they not? Baltimore is 76 and 69. So they have two less. They've played two less games than you guys. So they have two less losses. You guys are 76 and 71. So technically, Blue Jays, Rays, Orioles, and the Mariners are all ahead. There's four teams ahead of you guys in the wild card race. Got to win the division. Yeah. Yeah. White Sox five and a half back out of the wild card. No chance, man. Well, God damn, brutal. So is this does I mean, ever since LaRusa, I guess, you know, almost sang the swan song. What are we 
Like, is this on him? They're they're playing good ball since he's gone. I mean, I've heard on six seventy score say this isn't you know because of Larusa or it is because of Larusa. Like, you guys got to help me out here. You guys are my baseball, you know. My we guy. must have been know. listening at different times because I've been listening to six seventy the score all week, and <laughs> what I know is that there's been three different players come out and credit something that. Miguel Cairo has said or done as a reason behind their success in the past couple of weeks. Hendricks has said something. Harrison said something. Someone else said something all about, you know, whether it be a speech uh, about, you know, how the fact that they just got to go out there and play. It's just those guys. Like, I mean, I don't know. I just can't really look at the situation like the way that we've played compared to the talent on the team all season long, we thought we were underperforming this one managerial switch that, you know, everyone kind of was hesitant on to begin with. And all of a sudden they start playing like the team we thought like that doesn't, that's not a coincidence. Like there's too many things going on for that to just be like, Oh, they finally started acting like a good team. And it just happened, just so happened to be at the same time that someone tampered with LaRusso's short circuits and his fucking pacemaker. <laughs> yeah, I think there's no way that he comes back and coaches because, I mean, obviously the way that the team's playing, you wouldn't want to switch that back up again, have someone else leading it already. But then even like if it is like genuinely a health issue, like what is the point of coming back? Like if you're about to have like a grabber on the, in the second inning, just don't come out just don't come or out. a nap. I mean, how hard is, Oh man. You're not wrong, man. You're not wrong. Oh, and I think, I mean, I think. A fucking grabber. <laughs> Fucking hey, he's gonna grab his left arm. <laughs> Fucking somebody at the bullpen's gonna start warming up. <laughs> he's gonna say, yeah, this give is me the lefty. He's gonna take it. <laughs> he's gonna say, give me the lefty. And he's gonna just crawl. <laughs> Somebody's gonna come running out of the dugout or just come running out of the bullpen. <laughs> The pitching coach, pitching coach is gonna be like Tony. You gotta go, you gotta go make the substitution, and he's just gonna stiff as a board. Kilo over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fuck! We'll burn it in hell. Oh, oh my goodness. So, okay. Oh boy. I <laughs> to to oh, sum up what I was gonna say, bitch. I think. Baseball's too long of a season to where the manager doesn't have a big effect on everything because it's such a mental grind. It's such a taxing season that, you know, sure, obviously the talent matters on the team, but the clubhouse morale matters a ton. The the mental stability of the players on the team matters a ton. Um, You know, the grind it's just how do you handle the adversity throughout the season? 
And I think a lot of that comes back on the coaching staff. So I think Miguel Cairo taking over is big. Um, and really a change of scenery makes a big difference, uh, whether that's coaching changes or a player getting traded midseason. You know, if something's not working and something even small changes, it can go a long way. So okay. I think uh, a lot of it should be handed to Miguel Cairo, but also the players for just, you know, sticking it out. So two more White Sox things that I want to talk about before we move on to – my lovable losers. Um, so we're going to just count this season as like a wash with Larusa, and then same expectations next year with a new manager. And like, who could that manager be? I mean, Miguel Cairo. Yeah, I wouldn't. I think that's got to stay Cairo. I just, you, it's kind if of, it broke, don't fix it. Had. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of annoying that we had to like hire a, manager coming into these past couple of seasons like I wish we had already had like the guy beforehand and that we wouldn't be having issues like what we're talking about right now but you know if you can salvage any kind of continuity continuity that's the word um there you go yeah Cairo I think just that's that's the guy so then what are the expectations looking towards next season with for the White Sox I mean my expectations are that the front office fucking does something I mean, we need – they made no moves at the deadline. Our biggest – literally season-changing acquisition came on a released veteran let go because he was about to get too many at-bats. Like, I mean, it's just sad that nothing happened at the deadline. So, I don't know. I just hope we see a little bit different team, you know, a little bit more power, a little bit more lefties. I think the pitching. injuries have also played a big part. I mean, oh, it's course. just a team that I think has enough talent to be a World Series contender, but didn't stay healthy enough. Uh, and, you know, over 162 games, I think a lot of it is luck as well. So, yeah, I don't might, know. Might be getting a new catcher, too. I think Yaz is seeing uh, the end of his time. So, yeah. We'll see. I do agree, though. Totally. I mean, a healthy as is what we'd like to see. But as he's getting older, that seems to be uh, less available. So, yeah. And I feel like Lucas now um, we've had like in back to back years, I feel like when it comes like the front office not doing enough. You've kind of had some complaints like last year at the deadline. Who was the second baseman that you guys got? Uh, switch hitter. Was it Caesar? Caesar something. Caesar Hernandez. Yeah. yeah. This year, like you said, nothing big at the deadline either for, you know, a competitive team with high expectations. You see the winning franchises making moves at deadlines constantly. And it's just like, I feel like that's got to be frustrating to say the least. Yeah. They're just cheap. And, you know, it's, I mean, I understand we don't really have much of a farm system right now. I think some of the guys at the top might be brought up, you know, Oscar Colas, you know, we're 300 in the minors, already in AAA. Colson Montgomery, he's our only top 100 prospect right now. But, I mean, these guys aren't going to be making us go from what we saw this year to a World Series. So, we need some – we need – I don't know. I think we, we're a stud away still, you know. I think we have some guys who are 
capable of being that guy. Luis Robert, Eloy, TA7. I mean, these guys are all great players, but I don't know. We might we might have to make a big splash to to see the you know grand horizon there. All right. And then I was listening to the score the other day. Um, I believe it was Dan Bernstein who just the almighty Duke education um, said that the White Sox aren't the most disappointing team in baseball that the Minnesota Twins are. And I know I brought it up on Sunday to you guys or yesterday to you guys, but I did want to talk about it on the show for our viewers to hear. Do we agree with that statement? I don't know. I mean, I think arguments like that are super semantics related. It's it's like sports talk radio. However, we're basically sports talk radio that isn't live. So um, I would say yes, but also I'm not sure. Because you look at the Twins and Lucas's complaints about how the front office hasn't done enough. The Twins have done a lot. They went out, they traded a ton at the deadline this year. They signed Carlos Correa to an incredibly player-friendly deal that he's going to walk out of this offseason. And they went all in. They put all their chips on the table, and they said, let's go, and uh, they're performing worse than the White Sox. So I think when you look at it that way, I think the Twins are a bigger disappointment. However, I think as somebody who follows the White Sox a little closer, I think Lucas would say this as well. I think you look at the talent that the White Sox had before the offseason and before the trade deadline, and I think that's enough to contend, and I think that's a team that should win the American League Central. So I'd say there's a case for both. Yeah, no, totally. I I think that is a good point. Like Minnesota did, for us to be at both kind of the same point that we're at, they sacrificed a lot more to get to the same point. So in that sense, yeah. But also, you know, from every step of the way, last year I thought that this year we'd be contending. In the offseason, I thought that this year we'd be contending. Right before the season, I thought that this year we'd be contending. And then, you know, it just never, like from the kind of beginning of the season, we haven't really been that team. So, and I, and I just never thought of Minnesota as that team. Even when they signed Correa, I thought the White Sox were still a better team. When they traded for Sonny Graham, like, okay, White Sox are still a better team. Like, that's not... I don't know. I just, maybe I just didn't think that their moves were really all that great. Um, and I never really saw them as better than the White Sox. So that's why I think uh, the Sox are the bigger disappointment. I just think with all that, um, that Minnesota did, it was just dumb. I just think that they're not as good now. And, um, you know, their best move in recent history is still last year's trade deadline, sending Barrios for, a couple really a couple of their highest prospects now so I don't know it was just interesting to me that they did that but then like they were tearing down but at the same time like signing Carlos Gray and trying to you know get superstars so it was it was really confusing but from every step of the way I thought that this should be a year that the White Sox should be you know competing for the the AL you know and that's just not what we are right now so I think the White Sox are, are a bigger disappointment now are the angels in that conversation, would you say? Yeah, yes. it's just like we're used to it at this point with the angels. It's like every year they get new pitchers and 
Mike Trout has 30 plus home runs. Otani's an MVP candidate. And I mean, it's yeah. like the same story, different year, every single time. Like that one tweet that we always see circulating every year. Mike Trout, yep. four for four, hits the cycle, eight RBIs. Shohei Otani throws seven innings pitch, no earned runs, 14 strikeouts, and the Angels lose eight to two. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, both of you guys are going with the White Sox. Um, I gave up on baseball in like May, so I'm going to go with the White Sox as well. Cubs reportedly in on Trey Turner and Carlos Rodon. Obviously two, you know, big pieces that the Cubs very much need. I guess, like I said, once again, you guys are my baseball guys. Does that, I mean, Obviously, there would be other moves made and all that, but does that put us in postseason contention in 23? Um, I think they need to be in on those guys. I think if you look at the Cubs roster this year and they expected guys like Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel to kind of anchor the lineup for a team that could contend for a wild card, you know, I think – that's a major sign that you need to go out and get some guys. Um, I think there are a lot of good pieces in place right now. And I think Nico Horner could be an everyday shortstop, but I think the focus should really be on bats um, for the Cubs this off season. Also pitching, um, you know, Marcus Stroman has been pretty good this year when he's been healthy, uh, but you need a few more guys. Um I, I just think that the Cubs need to go out there and spend like the Cubs yep. spend like a big market team that they haven't spent like for the last, you know, three or four years, something's got to give. Uh, and I think the Cubs need to be in on all, all of them, all the big name free agents, Aaron judge too. Uh, they got to got to put them time to put the money where the mouth is now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like they've got to, put a step in the right direction. I think they've done enough of the subtracting and tearing down some of the major league pieces. So, I mean, I think right now they're probably two years away if they were to go out and have a good offseason now from really being a good team, because like Larry said, you got to go get something. You got to be after every single one of those top guys that you can get. Like right now your team doesn't have much of an identity. It doesn't have the piece that you're building around. Like you said, Nico Horner, he's good. Yeah. I think very much can be an uh, everyday shortstop and a good one too nick madrigal madrigal yeah i've always liked him you know and we'll see what happens to wilson and we'll see what happens to a couple of other these guys that like you said were supposed to be a bit more of an anchor in that lineup but they got to be in on everybody and then see what sticks so while you know next year even if they get these guys i don't think there can be too much of an expectation that uh we got a big name shortstop, got a big name starting pitcher. We needed bats. We needed pitching. Let's go do this. I think it'll be more like, all right, we got three or four guys who will probably make an impact on a World Series roster this year. Let's go see what other three, four guys we need to get next year to really get a team together, see who, you know, see who sticks as, as a core while you're still getting those like younger guys up that, you know, you're getting um, from the trades of, you know, Javi, Rizzo, like all these guys. Obviously, they were good trades for the Cubs' um, future. So, 
that's that's gonna start impacting you eventually. You got PCW or PCA. He's a dog. Brennan Davis still obviously really good. So I don't know. There's definitely some hope, but I think a lot of the hope lies with the assumption that the Cubs are gonna spend like the Cubs should be able to do. So I think Larry nailed it spot on. You guys gotta be in on everybody right now and just see what see what direction you can start to build your team in. Yeah. I completely agree. I feel like it's always been, you know, you want to, you want to win like a top, you know, you're supposed to be a top three organization in baseball, Yankees, Dodgers, Cubs. I feel like, you know, when it comes to spending, you should be spending as much as you can get. My thing is, is like, okay, you grab Trey Turner, you move Horner to what? Third, second. Third. Third. You got what? Magical. Magical second. Yeah. And then you grab Carlos Rodon, obviously a nice piece of the rotation. I'm not saying, you know, they don't grab a couple other guys, but you're still working with what? Whoever the hell is at first base. Frank Schwindel played like, what, 40 games at first base this year? I saw Rivas out there well, he's, a lot. He's cut now. They they DFA'd him. They did DFA him? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks for, you know, some fun times, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I liked him. He was, a, he was a fun guy at the Wrigleyville Bars, but, like, you know – not a championship piece. Like, I mean, still, like, I don't know if I look at this team, if you even add the, just those two guys next year, great off season. Yeah. But like, do we look at this team as like a wild card? I mean, like you got, I mean, I like say Suzuki. I think that the future still could be very bright for him. Chris Morrell. I mean, Ian Happ. And then, you know, Trey Turner, Nico Horner, Nick Madrigal, whoever's at first, a decent rotation. If Kyle Hendricks can get back to old form with Stroman, uh, you know, Pete Armstrong in two years. Yeah, like, and, you know, maybe Wilson Contreras, that catcher. Like, now that I'm thinking about it and you do that, Trey Turner, um, and, you know, maybe another piece or two, they, they could be contending for a wild card. You know, I, a lot of those names that I listed are actually, you know, decent baseball players. But, like, I mean, do we look at Chris Morrell and be like, this guy's going to be a part of a World Series lineup? I think maybe. But, yeah, I think there's a chance. But, like, what I mean, like, I don't know. I guess I think the same, like, with, like, say a Suzuki. Like, I love say a Suzuki. Like, I guess we just need to see how these pieces can, you know, play out for us at the same time while also acquiring more. And I just – I don't know if I see, you know, still a postseason con- contention. You know, I, I mean, maybe a wild card spot, yeah, if we do add these two guys. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit of a Debbie Downer, Larry. Actually, um, I think – you listing the, the names out that you just listed, I feel like they could buy their way into a wild card next year. Especially yeah, if you've got three wild cards. I think a good offseason can put you in the, the playoffs next year for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. But then again, I think a team like the Cubs, with as much money as they have the ability to spend, should always be an offseason away from contending. Yeah, that's true. So – just a matter of doing it, I think. Yeah. Come on, Judd. I know you're listening to us. <laughs> Get your ass out there and make some moves. Any last statements, guys? There's nothing much to talk about when it comes to the Bulls. They're, I, I don't know. I loved the Bulls last year. I don't love the offseason, really. I don't think that they're, you know, I, I don't know. I <laughs> I'm not. I just I, like I, I haven't. I, I haven't followed much 
uh, outside of minor league baseball for the past like six months. So I'm still like acclimating to everything else. I just, I don't, I just don't see it, you know, after what I watched last year towards the end of the season, like maybe once again, I just, I think the bears have really just last night, they just turned me into a big Debbie downer. Maybe I'm like all Chicago sports teams right now, but I feel like all off season long, I still just don't see it. Like I love, Zach Levine, I think that he's a great two for a great player. I think he's a great two for a great player, and I don't think that DeMar Rosen, as great as he was last year, is good for championship basketball. You've seen it before, and you've seen it again in Chicago. Like, he, he runs a lot of iso ball, not a lot of fun ball. Like, it's, in my opinion, for this team to be a – you know, Eastern Conference Finals championship contender, it's going to have to, and it's crazy kind of to say this, but it's going to have to really come on the shoulders of Patrick Williams and him being able to elevate into that Kawhi Leonard, like we need, like we want him to be. If he's like even 80% of what Kawhi Leonard was, like we think he can be, this team can. But it, that's, and it's crazy to say that, like I said, you know, him being like the fourth best player in our lineup, supposedly. Like, if he elevates his game to where we all thought he could be when we drafted him, this team can very well compete and compete very far. But if he's still, you know, hesitant to shoot the ball, not as physical and aggressive with the ball in his hands as he was last year, I still think he's a phenomenal defender regardless. But when it comes to his offensive side, he's just not really aggressive. and He's very hesitant with the ball in his hands. I just don't see them contending in the East at all you're not going to beat Giannis you're not going to beat the Celtics like these are teams that you're not going to be able to overcome and like I said as much as much as it was as it was fun last year like it was also a very disappointing finish and I know we're still you know waiting on Lonzo Ball to get back healthy I think we have great defensive guards I'm not saying that but it's just like I just I still I I don't see it and it comes down to having a big I think you need a dominant big, and I think that's the thing that this team is missing. You know, whether or not Patrick Williams is who we thought he could be, I think they need to go out and get a big. So, I agree, Lucas. Yeah, no, I think to actually compete, Bulls would need Pat Will to be Kawhi, like you said, and need Lonzo Ball to be healthy and stay healthy, and they need Andre Drummond to. You know, protect the rim, be a center, play meaningful minutes. I uh, don't know if he'll be in the starting lineup, but that doesn't mean he can't change the game because especially like if we were to go on a playoff run, that might just be a one-on-one on one of those guys. You know, when Giannis is on the court, so is our best defender. That's where we're going to have to have someone step up to be. And um, I think there's a lot of teams in the East thinking the same thing that we are. So, um yeah, maybe it comes with a different change up in the personnel. Maybe it's not someone currently on our roster who's going to uh, get us over that hump, but I don't know. Yeah, like you said, big guys and staying healthy. Should have been Kevin Durant. Fucking hell, you're right. <laughs> I thought the curse was broken, but <laughs> it wasn't. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Around the Loop. We'll be back to you guys soon. Hopefully breaking down a Bears win against the Texans and a Justin Fields statement game um, and a little big, you know, 
fuck you to the fans who weren't bought in. Who didn't work hard enough. Shame on us. I hope he just opens up his press conference slamming that fucking microphone like uh, Dennis Green did when we when we beat him in Monday Night Football. I hope he just comes out there, slams him. Who busted their ass this week, huh? Me. How hard you fuckers work? Did you guys do that? Did you guys just rush for six touchdowns? That's how I hope, I hope he opens it up. You know, I'm going to say, damn it, Justin. I didn't. <laughs> That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Around the Loop. Like I said, I hope we're breaking down a Bears win next week and me not being such a Debbie Downer. Peace.